Hello, and welcome to another podcast interview on SoundingTheLight.com. I'm so glad you are with me today. I hope you all have had a good day. I am actually having a great day, and it has gotten a whole lot better because I have Jeremy Dunn here with me today. He is a singer-songwriter, and I absolutely love his music. It is very captivating. Um, (laughs) If I'm going to describe his style, I would say it's kind of a cross between, like, imagine Irish meets electronica, um, (laughs) if you can do that. (laughs) Um, I love it from the first note of practically every song I've heard of his. It is just, it's captivating, and it just makes you want to hear more, Um, which, you know, I do. So... (laughs) I hope you do, too. Um, Before I introduce him, I am going to um, play one of his songs. This one is called Wake, You Orphan Souls. It's from one of his albums called uh, Good Morning, Happy Easter. This is volume three, so there is a volume one and two. Uh, These are a collection of songs from him and a few other artists. Um, But I got to tell you, when I first heard Wake, You Orphan Souls... Uh, It took about one measure of the song, and I was enthralled. Um, Like I said, it's it's kind of a kind of an electronic um, feel to it, and it is just the thing about his music is that it's just there's a joyousness that just exudes from his songs, and whether they have words or whether they are just instrumental, it doesn't even matter. You just feel celebration, and uh, so. Here is, once again, Wake, You Orphan Souls, from Good Morning, Happy Easter, Volume 3. Wake.
I just love that piece. And I'm now going to introduce the man who wrote it, sang it, and performed it. Uh, Jeremy, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It is very good to have you here. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, you bet. Um, You're also very special because uh, you're the first who's actually gotten to officially be in my studio instead of over the phone. It's an honor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm hugely honored. so, since we've just heard Wake You Orphan Souls, um, let's talk about that one before we get into much else. Um, tell me where that one came from. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting story. Uh, so, um, I, I had heard that term actually used by my pastor. Um, he had kind of given a word at, during church one time about, you know, if you feel like an orphan soul... Um, you know, God is God. Once you know that He's with you, and of course, He said it much more eloquently. But my takeaway <laughs> was, you know, um, the distillation of that for me was this idea of feeling like an orphan soul, and um, just I just started thinking about family and um, you know, kind of culture's current inability to really model good, you know, fatherhood and like a sense of belonging for for kids and for adults. Mm-hmm. and um, But anyway, uh, you know, um, clearly that translates then as we grow older into even like spiritual feelings of abandonment, you know, m- not even necessarily by God, but even sometimes there are things that mm-hmm. can trick us into thinking that we've been abandoned by God. Um, so I was, I was toying around with that idea a lot. Um, and then um, each year, this group of musicians and I, we do uh, Christmas songs around Christmas time, and we put out, put it out on an album. Um, and then we also do it for Easter. And so for this Easter so- album, I really couldn't get away from this song. And everyone else is writing songs, you know, kind of telling the narrative part of Easter. And I just um, I just couldn't get away from this "Awake You Orphan Souls." And um, I started thinking about. You know the road to Emmaus, and you know, be not afraid, and and because um, toward the end of the song, you know, it just kind of chants, you know, uh, weep no more, weep no more, you know. Yes, I love that part. You know, yeah, and so the messengers are like, why are you standing here? Why are you? You know, that's the whole kind of theme. After a while, was like, you thought things went bad, but they really haven't. Why are you afraid? Why are you weeping? You know, why do you feel alone? Um, and so it's kind of an invitation. I like to write from like kind of an invitational point. Mm-hmm. Um, a view to invite people into something bigger than than what they're experiencing, something better than what they're experiencing. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's what that is. It's awake, you orphan souls, and so kind of has a double meaning, right? When you look at Easter, you see that you know we were in fact um, no longer separated from God anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And there was this kind of orphan kind of separation uh, aspect of of mankind and now we're brought back in with you know um commun- community with god um so that was kind of the that was the premise there that um i think at the, the end of the day it's it's an invitation song and i love the fact that it kind of fit in the easter context with mm-hmm. everyone else's overtly easter songs but you could remove that from that context and still have a song for any time I definitely think it fits so well at the end. It was very appropriate, um, just such a celebratory thing, and it was just so full of hope. One of the things that first drew me to it was the was just, <laughs> you know, when you listen to Christian music, you don't very often expect to hear this very electronic sound, which is what your a lot of your stuff has. Yeah. Um, tell me where that comes from. How does your mind work? Oh boy. Um, you know, my 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 approach to music is that um like for a long time I used to want to write music that was like getting ahead of the curve. You know, like could <laughs> I and I do I have a strong musical intuition and I kinda have I've always had a propensity for music that people weren't listening to yet. Mm-hmm. Right. So um and 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 I and I love that, and, and, I, and even still today, I totally love finding those songs, finding that music, finding that sound. Um, and so I used to write that all the time. Now I just write what I want to write. And when you listen to my music, I think um, that you 
probably hear a lot of like 80s stuff. I'm a child of the <laughs> 1980s. I fully and fully embrace it. When when I write it, I'm it's not novelty. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, let's reach back to the to the uh, 80s. It's like this is stuff I've picked up along the way, and it took me a long time to get comfortable with who I am musically. You know, especially with writing so much worship music for mm-hmm. so long. You know, you kind of want to write to the common denominator. I yes. mean, because you're t- you're talking about a Sunday morning, and it's a crowd of people, eighteen to eighty, and it, and it's ten thirty in the morning or it's mm-hmm. ten in the morning, you know, and you're asking them to sing this song. Um, you know, you want to write in patterns. You know, even like with your uh, with your verses. You know, you want them to remember how the verse goes. So when they come back around, they can hopefully <laughs> sing it. You can have a little bit of mercy on everyone, you know, mm-hmm. when you're leading worship. So um, I don't know. I just really felt like in a box for so long writing worship music mm-hmm. um, that I just began to say, you know what? I'm going to write from this very worshipful um, point of view, but I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, try and stick to the constraints of like verse, chorus, bridge kind mm-hmm. of popular sound. You know, I mean, there's a place for that, and it's yes. great. I'm very thankful for that on Sunday morning, you know, <laughs> when someone's asking me to go on this wild ride of a song that I've never heard before. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, but I, I just, I really started just writing what I wanted to write. And so you hear the sound of just a person who picked up different influences along the way, and it's coming out now, and I'm, I'm happy with it. You know, I, I think about, it makes me wonder how many musicians singer-songwriters and artists have had to come to that realization that it isn't the kind of box that we feel like we should put ourselves in, but just flowing in the way that God has created us. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and uh, and being that person, because that's what brings Him glory, and that's what's going to be the passion in us that, that drives us and keeps us going. Yeah, totally. And, you know, there's a, um, a line from the movie Chariots of Fire mm-hmm. where Great Eric movie. Little is, he's the main character and he's a runner. And he basically says, you know, God made me to mm-hmm. run mm-hmm. and I feel God's pleasure when I'm running fast. And um, I love that line. Yes, me too. there's something, and it's just like so simple, right? It's not huge theological stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need like a cross-reference Bible to understand it. It's like God just takes pleasure in us being who he's made us, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I quit trying to conform. I mean, you know, I'm 40 years old now, so I'm, <laughs> I'm still trying to be cool, but I don't care as much about being cool as I used to. <laughs> That's one thing that I that I read is that in your 30s, you finally kind of settle, you know, into who you are. And when you reach your 40s, you're finally really just okay with exactly who it is that yeah. you are. You're yeah. Still, this is who I am, yeah. and I'm okay with it. And I always, said that, I always said, well, this is just who I am in mm-hmm. my 20s and my 30s, but I was a little bratty about it, like, <laughs> try and change me. This is who I am. But now I can really just say with, you know, no drama, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, congrats for reaching 40 and congrats for reaching that place <laughs> yeah, <thanks>. <laughs> in <laughs> your music life. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of long life, uh, let's start from like, where were you born? I was born in San Diego, California. It's across yeah. the United States. It is. It's totally on the you other come side. Far away. Yeah, I am. A, I'm from the West End. I was born in um, San Diego. We lived in L.A. for a while. Um, we had a time in Tulsa, Oklahoma, actually. And then we ended, my family then moved to, this is when I was younger, then my family moved to Phoenix. And I moved there in junior high. And then I was there forever. It's where I met my wife. It's where, that's where all our relatives are. Okay. Um, that's where, she's a, she's a Phoenix native. So yeah, we're from the West side. We, we just moved to the South five years ago. So that begs the question, like what brought you to the South? Yeah. So I was, I was, um, running a, an online music, like a Christian music is actually worship music resourcing site, very niche market, right? It's (laughs) not, it wasn't even just broadly Christian music. It was worship music and it was worship music resources. Um, and, um, yeah, I was running that site. It was an e-commerce site and, um, anyway, it was purchased by a company in Nashville 
and then um, they kind moved. It was it was a it was a small operation, but I mean you know it was like it had a warehouse and all that. So they wanted to bring as they wanted to preserve as much of that as they could and move the operation out to Nashville. So I was one of the human assets. <laughs> <laughs> So how long did you live in Nashville before you came to Atlanta? Uh, we lived there for, I think, three and a half years. Loved it. Yeah, absolutely loved it. And I mean, I had a lot of, because um, because I was kind of working on the retail side of um, the worship, you know, worship music, uh, mm-hmm. but we were also like in the editorial sites. So we were writing a lot. We had a lot of friends. We We made sure we didn't just give all our attention to like just big labels, though we were friends with the big labels. It was, we made sure that we really made sure that indie worship people hmm. got a chance too. So mm-hmm. it was really fun because we were like directly in contact with people um, just as individuals and we were putting them on the same like visually in, in, in our store, our web store, we're putting them on the same level hmm. and talking about them with the same respect that we would talk about the, the big label guys. So, and it was fun. I mean, and back in the day it was, you know, dealing like individually with Carrie Job and with Brian and Jen Johnson. And I mean, it was just, it was fun nice. to like know that, you know, we played some small yeah. part in getting the word about the word out about those guys. Um, did that, give you any leg up on your own, you know, journey in, in music, songwriting and recording and all that? Um, yeah, I mean, cause I made friends with, with some of these people, mm-hmm. um, though I didn't ever, I mean, I hardly even pushed my music through our website. Um, it just didn't feel comfortable for me to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like, um, just kind of being around it, you know, um, just kind of made me feel like, you know, gave me permission to to be more like a musician. Cause you know, I would, there was in Phoenix, you know, and mm-hmm. in some ways there's, you know, it's, there's, I don't want to say there's not a lot going on. There is a lot going on, but, um, there's just like not that real environment of, mm-hmm. of, um, of community, like solid community, like you would get in Nashville. Yeah, I was going to say, and in Nashville being sort of the mecca <laughs> of yeah. music, I don't think there'd be a lot of other places that would compare musically. It's cool. I mean, it's, it's this wholesome little big town. And, you know, it has, you know, of course, you can have your gripes about industry and, and all that, you know. But I met a lot of people in industry that were uh, really trying to do good. And they were doing good, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, then I, I saw some other stuff too that wasn't as great, but, um, that's no surprise. I mean, everybody knows that, but, um, yeah, I mean, but I loved it. We felt so at home there because you just, my wife is a, like a artist, a visual artist. She works in like the paper medium and she had a whole community of artists out there. I mean, it was great. My daughter was doing great out there too. I mean, they're, they're doing great now, but I mean, it just was such a great fit for us. So what brought you to Atlanta? Uh, so I, then, uh, I'm now working for a, uh, a, a television network, um, down here in Atlanta. So I took a job down here. And so thankfully through the internet, I can still maintain and retain and uh, carry on the same kind of musical, uh, friendships and collectives mm-hmm. that, uh, that I could in Nashville. Mm-hmm. So tell me about your musical influences. Who did you listen to growing up? Oh man. Yeah, so I was kind of a weird little kid because I, like, I remember my very first record was the theme song to Chips. It was a 45. <laughs> my parents bought it for me because every time that show came on. tiny 45s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I remember, and I was, I must have only been four. And, um, I mean, I had a lot of influence up Till then, I mean, my my mom's a piano player, so she was always playing in church. Um, my dad, who isn't a piano player, actually taught me my first songs on the piano. <laughs> yeah, and I thought he was a piano player too until <laughs> until you know he's like, no, I've already shown you the two songs I know. <laughs> like, okay, you're like, Dad, you're so awesome. All right, exactly. <laughs> but um. But yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of church music that I mean, I was just in that influenced me. That was I was like, yeah, music. It's it's surrounding me. Mm-hmm. But um, 
like really like developing my own taste and like going after stuff I love. Just started early. I loved, man, I loved disco. I, I loved, but I love that Chips theme song because of the synthesizer in it. And I loved <laughs> anything with the synthesizer in it. I mean, you just didn't hear it a ton in music, especially like front and center. Uh-huh. So I was completely attracted to that. And then eventually, you know, it was like Vangelis or Vangelis, however you want yes. to pronounce it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A Chariots of Fire album. I mean, mm-hmm. that is amazing. That theme song is amazing, but that whole entire album is Did crazy. you ever listen to The Other Side? Yeah, that that super long cut. So awesome. Yeah. That was my favorite. Yeah. It was crazy. I would, I would just put that on and put on headphones and just dream about stuff, other things, you know, because it would just take me somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I love that. So I really developed a, a taste for like sonic spaces that were just completely out there. And it was perfect timing too, because I was mm-hmm. coming of age in the eighties and it was all mm-hmm. about digital equipment and, you know, faking all of these spaces. And um, so like when you say, perhaps you hear some Irish, <laughs> influence in there i think that's probably a lot of that kind of um new age ancient kind of influence and sound that i would have pulled Mm -hmm. from those old records all those old windham hill records i sound like i was an old man when i was really little i wasn't (laughs) i I totally loved u2 and i loved big Uh country and the alarm i mean i I obsessed on the smiths and the cure and Uh depeche mode and and all those guys pesha boys love the pesha boys I think that especially any musician who records any of their own stuff at any point has their own studio set up, their studio is going to tell someone a whole lot about who they are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, for instance, if you look at mine, um, I've got some art from my kids kind of stashed away and and uh, I've got like old photo albums and, you know, along with my recording stuff and somewhere hidden away in a place that I'm never going to show anybody. (laughs) I have a big box. And here I'm going to actually date myself too. Um, You've been so much more forthright about your age. (laughs) I'm going to sort of reveal mine as I have a whole box of cassette tapes that have like just random stuff. They're they're what I use to do, you know, my little sound on sound stuff with uh, singing with, you know, recordings of myself. Um, Also, you know, just like whatever big music was going on in the day, you know, was I mean, yeah. it was cassette. Right, it was, totally. And for all those of you who don't know what I'm talking about because you're too young to remember, <laughs> cassettes were what we had long before there was MP3s and long before oh, yeah. there was CDs. <laughs> oh, and just after the, you know, the actual tapes, uh, yeah, reel to reel, which is what my dad had. He had reel to reel. Oh, wow. Um, so, but tell me, what is, you know, what's what's your, like, choice stuff in your studio? Hmm. Equipment-wise or yeah, surrounding-wise? Yeah, anything. Uh, well, I think I think my studio would probably reveal that I am a minimalist and that I am a lone wolf. Um, unfortunately, sometimes to my uh, chagrin, I'm a lone wolf. But, um, you know, I like to record a lot of stuff on my own. And um, it's... Uh, it usually takes someone else kind of initiating me, you know, to, to kind of bring them into a project. And it's not because I'm a control freak. I just, you know, I just, I get a vision for a song and I go for it. Um, but um, I would, you know, when you look around the studio, it's got all these pictures of rabbits. And I do share a studio space with my wife. So she's got all of her all of her artwork everywhere. So it's, so it's nice. And I I, the only reason beautiful. I say all that is because... Um, a dear friend told me, you know, he's like, look, as a creative, surrounding yourself with aesthetically p- pleasing things is not like a, a nicety. It's a necessity. Yes. You know? um, so that's kind of that's kind of the the things that I like to sur- I like to surround myself with stuff that inspires me to to look at, you know. But as far as my setup, you know, I've got a bunch of old synths that I'll pull out. I've got like couple of guitars and banjos that I pretend to play but uh you know my mostly my setup is my Nord stage and um I've got like a super fast PC computer it's not a Mac I know it's shocking which I am yeah I'm like my jaws on the floor about that one because you always hear you know the musicians and the people who work with any kind of media it's always like Mac 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 you know I'm a sort of a Mac person too but yeah 
Yeah. So what? how did that happen? It, it, it happened a long time ago. <laughs> when I was a poor college student, um, my wife, Amy, and she wasn't my wife yet. We were dating. She was making the big bucks. And so <laughs> she said, I just got my first computer. Uh, that was 95. I just graduated from college. And I said, you know what? I really need to go out and get a job in music. This is what I thought anyway. I've been told <laughs> that what I need is a sequencer, right? So I had my PC already, so she just bought me she bought me Cakewalk. And Cakewalk back then was oh simply yes. <laughs> there was no you know, there was no digital audio, nothing. Uh-huh. It just controlled your synthesizer. So she bought me Cakewalk. And um I don't know if I, I've just grown accustomed to they were one of the first ones to market too that like um to have like digital audio and like plugins and it was really slow and cumbersome and bloated mm-hmm. back in the day, but they've gotten better. Mm-hmm. So the reason I stick that I've stuck with, with cakewalk and eventually sonar this whole time is because it's, it's an environment in which I can work in this, yeah. in this synthesis realm and write with synthesizers. But at the same time, I'm also equally in the digital audio and they're equally powerful. Um, so, for me, that just totally works. You know, it's not exclusively synthesizers and it's not exclusively um, digital audio. Mm-hmm. So that's why I've been stuck in the, the PC world this whole time. It's just been a matter of enticing upgrades that, well, that they just keep me roped in, I guess. <laughs> it's produced amazing stuff. So you do all of your own recording, mixing, all that? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So so I, I have a whole... Um, you know, whole arsenal of even virtual synths and, you know, all the plugins and, and all that and uh-huh. the mastering plugins. Sometimes when it's not going right. I mean, the good thing is, is you're as smart as the people you hang around or hang around with. Right. So I've got some really smart friends in Nashville and a guy in Dallas and a few other people that I'll just be like, what is going on with my mix? Why does this stink? And, um, you know, they'll kind of help fix it and, you know, they'll even master it for me when, when I need them to, if I'm just not happy with it. So, yeah. You've done an amazing job. Thank you. That's very impressive. Uh, so the name on your albums is Jackrabbit. Yeah. Not Jeremy Dunn. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me where Jackrabbit came from. Well, Jackrabbit's a nickname that was given to me by my uncle. Uh, and he, it was my dad's brother. And he never had any kids of his own. And he, he clearly favored me. <laughs> and he gave me the nickname Jackrabbit. I'm not exactly sure why he kind of had this nebulous explanation about I was running around like a little rabbit like I always had a lot of energy or something which is hard to believe now <laughs> yeah but I think any little zen. boy is just gonna <laughs> right. have that yeah so I mean that's where it came from and what's funny is no one else ever called me jackrabbit I mean he exclusively owned that like so it's not like I grew up being called jackrabbit by everyone um, but so when I moved to Nashville, like shortly after I moved to Nashville, he passed away I'm sorry. and, um, I'm sorry. I don't know. I just, I just felt like I'm going to use this name more often in a, in a writing partner of mine, um, who was really encouraging me to do a lot more with my music. And, and he was, he was a real encouragement, uh, to me. He had, uh, you know, he's like, he just started calling me Jack Rabbit and he started calling me Jack. Um, and then other people started hearing that and eventually it just kind of stuck. So yeah, Jack Rabbit is kind of just, so it's just a moniker I took on for, you know, for my solo stuff. Well, uh, I would like to uh, play another one of your songs for listeners. The song that I'd like to play is the one called Gloria. It's from the Merry Christmas, Good Night, Volume 2 album. Can you talk a little bit about that one? Because you've taken us somewhere else where we would have expected, you know, from where we would have expected to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I I just, I can't leave, like, I can't approach a Christmas song traditionally, you (laughs) know. Bells and jingles. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Strings in the background. Right, exactly. So... I just, you know, I took the uh, angels we've heard on high and I just kind of twisted it up a little bit. And um, yeah, and then I love robot choirs. I love singing through vocoders. 
Um, I mean, I was that's wondering just, how you did that. You yeah, a little thing that makes that happen. Yeah, I have several scents that I could use, and yeah, I just sing through that stuff. It's it's, it's not auto. It's like some people are like, oh, you use auto tune. It's like, no, I'm not T Pain. I'm, <laughs> you know, you're hearing you're hearing my real voice backed by you know the a, a choir of robots. You know, uh, so yeah. I mean, I just again, I just wanted to write a song that express the joy of Christmas. You it know? definitely does. It comes through once again. Uh, so once again, this song is called Gloria. You will hear an excerpt from it. It is from the Merry Christmas Good Night album, volume two. some of the things that have inspired you to, you know, write? I know that we talked about the two songs that we've heard, but just in general, is is there something that drives you? Is there a passion? Yeah, I I, I think I approach everything I do kind of, it, it has to have a purpose or a mission, you know, and something hopefully specific and unique. I mean, I just, I love this idea that all of us can do a little bit you know, we can have a calling that may not even be huge. Like you hear so much about, and like, I'm very aware of this with my daughter. She's constantly hearing this message of, you can change the world. You are, you know, you know, you can do anything. And I mean, all that is true. Kids do need to hear that. Right. Um, at the same time, we Mm -hmm. can kind of get this bloated sense Mm -hmm. of self-worth, um, in, which is difficult because we are worth so much, you know, in the eyes of God and we are worth so much to each other. Um, that definitely needs to be expressed and realized by everyone. Um, but I mean, it's, it's easy to then think that you're going to take on the world and that you're going to have the world's attention, right? Yeah. Like it's so easy with YouTube. I'm going to just put myself yep. out there and then I'm going to get 15 minutes of fame, 15 minutes of fame. And then it goes away. Then what, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but if we were really happy with like these little differences that we can make in people's lives and be a constant change, a f- constant force of change, even if it's small incremental changes, um, we could do so much, you know, I think as a culture, but then, you know, even, even boil it down and just focus in on the church, you know, Mm -hmm. and Christians. I mean, if we, if we were happy with just doing the, the little bit, you know, rather than thinking about, well, I'm going to support something that'll reach the millions. Um, think about how can I reach, you know, my neighbor or that hurting person. So that really drives me to, 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 um, really look for people's stories. And mm-hmm. when I see especially um, dark things, you know, 
hurt in people's lives, um, desolation, hopelessness. These these things really fascinate me. These are the raw materials. Um, they're dangerous in and of themselves, but then when you start adding God to it, and you start adding hope to it, and you start adding healing to it, suddenly you have the makings for a miracle. You have the makings of like some incredible stories for for people, and it, and it begins to instill hope in people. Um, so I'm I'm influenced in a weird way. I'm influenced by these kind of dark things in life that seem to hold people and captivate them. You know, it's mm-hmm. depression or grieving or whatever. I, I want to handle those. I'm okay with handling those things and getting messy with those things in order to then add the other components, you know, that will turn that into something like a great, you know, a great story of redemption, you know, hope, you know, hurt plus hope, you know, plus God, you know, equals redemption, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so stories of, of, of injustice, you know, those are the things that really motivate me to write. And so I'll set out to write a song that, um, even if it's an instrumental, I don't care. I, I really believe that that can come out and I don't question, I don't question how that's possible. But if I write an instrumental song, um, I mean, I really believe that that hope comes out somehow mm-hmm. because people will contact me, you know, and, and say that they heard it. They, they, they got out of it what I put into it and what I was hoping they'd get out of it. You yes, know? which is what I feel when I listen to it. It is that just that joyousness <laughs> is the thing that always strikes me when I hear your stuff. It's like, wow, it's just you can hear it, feel it. See, and yeah, and I mean, that's the strange thing is, is that I, I think about and address dark things or things that need to be changed. Um, but there's, there's a way to do that where joy comes through, you know, mm-hmm. I've seen people attempt it before. And even in my younger days, I'd attempt it and it would just come out so depressing and, you know what I mean? So heavy handed, um, or if you want to like speak to someone about joy, just be happy, and then it comes off as bubble gum, and it comes off as happy clappy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the challenge of striking that balance because someone ha- you have to someone has to first identify with it, mm-hmm. right? And it is good to write happy songs that can model for people that oh, I can attain that. I can. I want to be in that place. You know, it kind of challenges them. I want to be in that place, but. I mean, I really feel like you have to write to where people are at, you know, and it doesn't mean you pander to them. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that you um, give them an excuse to hang out there. But if that's where they are, I mean, they need to relate to that. And part of our story, you know, is that we had um, we had a daughter pass away in 2002 um, my and she died of a rare metabolic disorder called IRD, IRD, NALD. My son is 14. He's had that same disease for 14 years, and you know he's reached his life expectancy, and he still keeps going. You know, so we've kind of lived wow. with this thing, and so we've we've grown comfortable with this idea of thriving in uh, in kind of a a difficult place, yes. you know, and finding that place um, and finding the hope in that place as well. How has your music affected your family? Um, you know, were you able to write during these times that you were talking about, you know, 13, yeah, I 14 wrote years a lot. ago? I wrote more then than even I do now. I just wrote like crazy. So like therapy to... It was, it totally, yeah. And I mean, in some sense, it was you know, these Holy Spirit inspired songs, Mm -hmm. but in other ways they were just, they were just like blood, sweat and tear songs that I just, just painfully put out on paper and wrote. And they were, they were all worship songs at that time. It was like nothing but worship songs, but it was an amazing thing. Um, especially when my daughter passed away, we, that happened in Barcelona. We were there seeking medical treatment. And when we returned, we immediately started leading worship, like the week we returned. Wow. And we didn't stop. We just kept going week after week after week. And that had some negative consequences that we had to deal with. But for the most part, I mean, I really believe that that's what kept us 
going. It kept us afloat. Um, and it was interesting, the more we wrote these songs for us, it really, they really were songs for our congregation too, which is, which is huge, which is important. Um, it's amazing all the great worship songs available to choose from, right? You can curate all sorts of set Mm -hmm. lists and stuff for your church. Mm -hmm. But when you have a song that is written out of the experience of your congregation, um, it's going to resonate. Yeah. It's going to resonate and it's powerful. It Mm -hmm. really was. So it was... It was it was difficult to write that, but at the same time, it was easy. And some of it was like very inspired, you know, was inspiration. And then most of the time, though, it kind of felt like perspiration, you know, mm-hmm. just fighting for it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of things were very raw at that time. Yeah, they were, and and we had a little bit different view of things back then too. I mean, we were determined to uh, skip the the. Um, kind of the grieving process and just get right to like the healing part. And we wanted that so badly and we wanted to model that so badly for our congregation mm-hmm. um, that, yeah, we kind of, the the music was, I don't think as, as honest as it could have been because, you know, in, in, in our defense too, we didn't want to just get up there and, you know, just sing all this down in the mouth stuff either. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of it was sincerely done, out of faith. It was just missing a, like a, an honest component of, you know, some of the, the hurt and the tragedy in, in addressing that. You know, there's that, <laughs> that painting or the poem that I'm pretty sure uh, most of everybody knows, you know, the footprints in the sand. And I'm sure that's got to be how it feels for you guys sometimes. Just do you ever look back on that, you know, those few years and just think, wow, how did we how do we walk through that yeah. and just keep going? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's it's like where we <laughs> we've had conversations before, like were we just too stupid to realize how <laughs> terrible that was, you mm. know? I mean, and even even today, you know? I mean, uh, we we don't know how long we have our son, mm-hmm. you know, and it's uh, it's just an amazing thing to live uh so joyfully. I mean, it's not all peaches and cream. You know, definitely not. It has its toll. But, you know, Liam, uh, my son Liam, he's he is a joy. Mm-hmm. And where he's a, he's a 14, and there's some days where I grieve that I can't teach him to throw the ball. I won't be teaching him about, you know, how to treat a lady and, you know, all that stuff. Or pretend I know about sports or something, you know. I mean, <laughs> but he's also, you know, cognitively... Um, really at a, at at the level of like a 12 month old, like, and who doesn't love, I mean, you know, if if everybody thinks about when there was a baby in the house, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? The joy that that brought, the innocence that's there, the unconditional love that's there. And we get that from him every single day. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I dearly, I could go on and on about my 10 year old Fiona. She (laughs) is amazing. But um, she's getting to the age where she gives us lip and attitude and she has emotions to deal with. And I'm sure that's only going to get worse yeah, for a while. Yeah, right. I mean, she's only 10. But, um, you know, and so these 14-year-olds are, you know, just a handful of problems for these other parents. And here is, you know, my son who'll just like curl up and, mm-hmm. you know, hug me and, and laugh with me and stuff. So, um, I mean, there's there's good there's good in all of it. There's joy in all of it. You know, you just, you have to be honest about, like, you can't deny that it stinks because, mm-hmm. um, well, you just, you'll go crazy pretending that it doesn't stink, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, you have to allow yourself to, and sometimes force yourself just to see like the amazing opportunities that are in, you know, a situation, like the story of our daughter. I mean, I make instant friends when I tell that story. You know what I mean? Because it resonates with people. I mean, yes. it's... It's very it, real. Yeah. Yeah. With any, especially anyone that has kids. It's just like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. I, you, you can see it every time you tell it. It's just someone's like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine. How old was she when she passed she away? She was 13 months old. Wow. Yeah. She was a fighter too. She had a she had a hard life. And, and I mean, all of this experience is really... Um, it's it's made its way into my music, into my art, you know, into my wife's art. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's who we are. We're comfortable 
with it. You know, we don't, I mean, it's weird. We don't, we don't celebrate. I mean, we, we fully recognize that these are things that are contrary to the kingdom. And we, we live and wave the flag for this kingdom of hope that, that all of these wrongs are made right, you know, but, um, at the same time, you know, we have, we're, we're living in this land Mm -hmm. right now, you know, and you have to be happy. You, You just have to be, you have to be as happy as you can be. And I mean, we're just, we love each other. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's really beautiful. Um, I would like to share one more song, or at least an excerpt from one of your songs called, uh, and it's another one of my favorites, <laughs> called Firefights and Fireflies. This one is from an album titled Wounded Healers. Will you talk about the album, where the title came from? And- yeah, the the Wounded Healers album was just, is a compilation of a bunch of songs that I had like instrumental songs that I had written and we're part of a a group like a support group for families that that have children with this the same disorder that Liam has this disease that Liam has mm-hmm. and um you know on on Facebook you're on this Facebook group and I mean it's it's just a handful of people anyway it's such a rare disorder but um, just week after week, you know, you see, I just see the toll it's taking on these families. And yeah, so yeah. I um, quickly threw together this collection. I mean, they were all songs that already existed. And some of them were from, uh, in this song too, were from, a, I kind of started trying to do an exercise and writing a soundtrack to our life. Mm-hmm. So far, you know, mm-hmm. um, like an intentional one. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like all the songs are a soundtrack, but this was, you know, like if it were a movie or if it were a book, you know, mm-hmm. what what music would accompany it? And that's that's how I came up with with this this song. Um, th- so that album was just a result of of collecting those songs to give to to those parents, um, and then um, that the song itself is just, you know. F- we just moved to the south, and so I was just fascinated. I was from the desert, right? So I'm seeing these <laughs> fireflies. I'm seeing these lightning bugs, you know, uh-huh. and it was just like, it was amazing. We loved it. We were just in love with the sight, you know. And, it was very um, magical. Yeah, it was very magical, you know. So I think it's kind of that that um, duality, that juxtaposition of the sweetness of life, the f- the fireflies, mm-hmm. but then the firefights. You know, the mm-hmm. skies can light up with, uh, you know, in, in the battle as well.
in our last segment here. Um, I would love to hear, you know, if there's anything uh, that stands out to you as like the funniest thing that has happened in your whole musical career. Hmm. Yeah, I would. There's been a lot of really just stupid things happen, you know. (laughs) But that's just life too, right? You know, you, you collect those stories. So, um, but I remember one time, my, my wife and I, um, we had a, we had a little act um, that was this was in the mid '90s, and we were like we called it disco tech. It was disco. So this is like early '90s. Disco had, had only been dead for maybe ten years, you know. Uh, right. But we were ready to bring it back. We just like this is it. It's coming back. We love it. And um, and then we combined that with techno. I just fell in wow. love with techno. I bet that was fun. It was fun because I mean I loved the hardcore techno. You know, <laughs> I mean, and like back in the day, you just no one ever heard it, so it's, it was like a novelty kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were Christian discotheque. We were called the Word Players, and in that genre, it may surprise you to learn that we had a hard time finding an no. audience. Yeah, yeah. I so, thought that would have been highly popular. Right. I know. <laughs> So we were open, and the thing is, we were opening for for bands that were, you know, listening to Metallica. Everyone was into Metallica. Everyone was into Pearl Jam uh-huh. and uh, um, Nirvana. You know, oh, right in the thick so, of it, right there. Right, and so here we are. <laughs> we're doing our Christian disco techno act. Um, but bands really did seem to love us. I think they loved just how strange it was. <laughs> And there was only two of us, so we were kind of a cheap opening act. And so we were Mm -hmm. forever the opening act. But um, so we were part of this uh, one night at this church youth event. We were part of this roster of artists. And your wife, she sings, right? My wife sings, yeah. Okay. And I'm back there playing the keys. Well, so much of what we did, like especially back then, you just couldn't haul a laptop with you and you know bring all your sounds with you. I had to make a choice. What was I going to play live? And I tried to play as much as I could live, but... I just, I had to play to some pre-recorded stuff. So I brought my cassette deck. It wasn't even like oh, pro equipment. Oh, it's brought up for the second time tonight. Yeah, right. Cassettes <laughs> <Yeah>, again. Cassettes. <laughs> so we, um, we play this whole set. And to our surprise, people really liked it. <laughs> despite the fact the next band coming on sounded exactly like Gin Blossoms. They were like, oh, yeah, these guys are good. So they start shouting, we're done. And keep in mind, we played through this entire cassette. They start shouting, encore, encore. Wow. And we're like, this is great. Until I realized that we didn't have an encore song. <laughs> if we wanted to do an encore, we would have to search back through this cassette tape. Rewinding. Yeah. So oh I, I make my yep. poor wife, we weren't even married yet, I don't think. Yeah, we weren't married yet. And, um, you know, she's bantering with everyone and, and everyone's like, you know, you hear me click, rewind and you know, the gears like, and then I'd hit play just really quick just to see like where it is. So there's like these little like bursts of nanoseconds of music. Everyone's all coming over the loudspeakers while I went back and I said, you know what? We're doing the first song. So I just ran it all the way back, hit play. We did our encore of our first song and that was it. Yeah. Do you have any, you know, future plans where you're where you're headed? Yeah, you know, I've um I've written a lot of congregational worship music. Um none of it that I've done under the moniker of Jackrabbit, and I'm really just focusing on Jackrabbit right now. There's so many great worship songs out there. And um you know, I've got a lot of close friends that are writing them, and I've written a lot. But I'm kind of taking a break from that to um, just really to to do a lot more of the instrumental stuff, to do a lot more of music that will create space for people. Mm-hmm. And even in even in church, I I love to do that. You know, we we had a Good Friday service, mm-hmm. and you know we. Um, this is me and a friend and we, we did live looping and it was very live it was very dangerous and a lot of stuff could have gone <laughs> yes there's a lot that can go wrong yeah there's that. a lot that could go wrong but i love that uh-huh. um and so um i love this idea of like even when you said um you know irish meets electronica or whatever you know i mean t- to me that translates into ancient future you mm. know these these ancient church practices meets 
kind of this brand new sonic space. Um, I know that the spirit of God can just come right on through and how, how you mentioned earlier that sometimes people don't even know what it is, you know, about the songs, people who may not have met Jesus yet can't explain the, 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 you know, joy that they're getting from this, but that's what's coming through. Yeah. If you look at the people that Jesus hung out with, you know, I'm not sure that we can assume that they hung out with him because they felt they needed to be saved or whatever. (laughs) I mean, Uh there was, I've got to think that there was something about him. Well, in the last couple of minutes, um, if listeners are interested in going and, you know, checking out any more of your stuff, finding out more about you, um, about your music, is is there a site that they can go to, a place where they can, you know, buy music? Yeah, I'm part of a of a music collective called the Morning and Night Collective. We're the ones that put out the the Easter records, the the Christmas records. Um and so we've we have this site where um I have a you know, that's kind of where my home is on the web. So yeah, you can download my music there. Um, I currently don't have anything up for sale, but you can come and download all the music that you want. And um, yeah, please check out my friends too while you're there. Cause um, I'm just I'm really proud of, of the hard work that, uh, that they're doing too. Okay. And so what is that site again? Morning and night collective. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Morning and night music.com. Thank you so much for being here. I have so enjoyed talking with you. I I know listeners have enjoyed hearing what you've had to say. It's very encouraging. Good, good. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for for inviting me in. Listeners, I hope you will come back next week. Uh, Join me for another guest artist. Uh, You'll be able to check the site here and see who is up next week. Um, just amazing, amazing people with amazing music, beautiful testimonies. So please come back again next week. And thank you so much for taking the time to spend with me today on soundingthelight.com. Again, I'm Tara Tucker. I will see you next week.